This episode is brought to you by Dashable, an app that helps you find deals, save money, and earn rewards at local businesses in New York City. Hello, hello, Heritage Radio Network listeners, tuning in from 165 countries around the world. And that was even before the pandemic, because heritageradionetwork.org is available online and at all your favorite podcasting platforms. So we were kind of reaching out to a global audience well before our lives turned into virtual digital things. But there are some things that are maybe not so obvious about bringing into your home in a virtual way. I mean, downloading and subscribing to Tech Bytes on iTunes and giving it a five-star rating is certainly an easy thing to do, and many of you have already done it years and years ago. But what about wine tasting? What about hospitality? What about all those things that have been closed in large part for the past year? How do we do those things virtually? How do you get champagne through your computer? Well, if that's a question that you've been ruminating on, this is the episode for you because we have a woman who can bring champagne to you through your computer, amongst other vintages and wines. Today, we're going to talk with Belinda Chang, who is a sommelier, one of the old school, best school sommeliers. She's also turned into, unexpectedly, a experiential virtual digital marketing expert <laughs> over the course of this past year and has built a quite a hospitality following online and an event business online that reaches millions of people around the world, which is a lot more than you can cram into a dining room in Chicago. Belinda, thank you for joining us today from Chicago. Hi, thank you for having me. I'm so excited to talk about this topic, which I've been living <laughs> for the last year. It's pretty amazing um, that we are coming up on a year and we are still doing the show remotely on Zencaster. I do not know when we are returning to our beloved actual studio at Roberta's Pizza in Bushwick, Brooklyn. If it were before times, we would be eating pizza and probably drinking champagne because I know that's how you roll. Um, <laughs> that's right. <laughs> <laughs> One of the things that we have talked about so much on this show doing this show remotely, how do you, how do we communicate the in-person experience? How do the guests, how do you and I have a conversation that replicates an in-person experience? And one of the first shows that we did remotely, one of the guests, Deepti Sharma, got onto the Zencaster, logged on, and one of the first things she said was, this is so great to be here talking with you. It feels like coming home. And she'd been on the show many times before, and it was such an interesting sentiment to me because she was actually at home, at her home, I was at my home, but that wasn't the home that she was referring to. And it's something that I've thought about for the past year, about what is the intangible thing that we have when we talk to certain people or we do it in a certain way or a certain format or a certain topic or a sequence of questions and answers what is it about certain things that give us a visceral connection to something that we know, to a brand, an experience, a place? And I think answering that question, how do we find that visceral je ne sais quoi, is something that a lot of restaurant and hospitality people are grappling with 
Because if you have to send something to somebody's home, delivery, a box, a video, a FaceTime, cooking class, what are those intangible things that make people feel like they're really there? And so we're going to take a look at that this episode and, and in a few episodes coming up in February. Belinda, you have worked at in hospitality on the floor in restaurants as a consultant, sommelier. But first and foremost, I, I think of you as a sommelier, hospitality extraordinaire on the floor. And I know that is not <laughs> by any stretch what you do now. And I know that's only a small portion of, of your experience. But that real um, in-person, almost like magical, seamless thinking of things before people realize it, that's sort of the framework that I think of you in mostly. <laughs> Thanks. How do you translate that to something online? How have you been able to do that over the past year, was it something that you had to sit down and think about what you could bring from your in-person experience, your online experience? Did it evolve naturally? Did you have to work on it or did it just start happening? I love this question for so many reasons. I also want to go back a minute and talk about what you said about coming home and this idea of third place. Because maybe in the end, that's what all of us who are hospitalitarians or whatever title you want to give it are at heart. You know, the people who are really great at service, really incredible restaurateurs, even club promoters, door people, maitre d's. I think we're all trying to create experience and we're all trying to create an experience that is balanced in some way between making it feel like you're coming home and then making it feel like you're going out, right? There's a whole body of literature about this and, you know, people who admire a Starbucks business, for instance, because they have sort of the perfect mix for all of their billions of clients between going out and coming home. So I think that's one. I wanted to point that out because I think it's very smart to have these dialogues on the podcast for the next couple of weeks because it's very germane to what's happening out there everywhere right now. But yes. to answer your question about whether all of this was thought out and or premeditated, <laughs> this giant pivot for my business, you know, the 10,000 times we've all said pivot in the last year. I think it all just happened and 100% came out of what I've been doing my entire career, as you said, whether it was under the auspices of having the title of sommelier or wine director or service director or corporate beverage director, all titles that I've held, or even champagne educator was another one that I held. That's one of my favorite ones. <laughs> I know, that was a fun <laughs> one for, you know, that little company, Louis Vuitton, Mott Hennessy, Mott Hennessy, USA. <laughs> I was the first one. Um, so... <laughs> You know, I think we've always been people like me and people who have done businesses like mine, although I don't think there are a whole lot of them. There are more and more now. But, you know, we were always trying to create experience in every way. And as you alluded to, I think having had this incredible fine dining experience and having worked for some of the most amazing chefs on earth who really pay attention to every detail in the dining experience, um, you know, that's what I always love to do. And I just took everything that I learned um, from doing that for people in real life and then tried to throw that on screen. And I think what's interesting about that is that made me think about sort of every aspect of the experience that the guest, the audience, or even the talent that's been joining me, like we've been joining people like you, 
uh, you know, how to sort of engineer it. It's not a great word, I think, engineer. It sounds sort of cold and clinical, but, you know, thinking of just every part of the experience. Well, there is a very technical side to what you're talking about. And, you know, you sort of swept through very quickly in a grand statement saying, you know, working with top chefs and, you know, people at the highest level of the profession and being attentive to the details of that experience. That's a very quick, short summary. But what I don't know if everyone listening understands is that that attention to detail is a thousand things that are not static. It's a thousand pieces that are integrated, moving parts into a whole symphony of activity that is a live event. So it's not as if you're just, you know, setting a table and then it's beautiful. You then throw in the people, the staff, the service, the kitchen, the timing, all these different elements, and it becomes a live event. And then all of those pieces start moving. Yeah, and sometimes they collectively move together in a in a beautiful way, and and sometimes, you know, they don't. <laughs> yeah, no, you're you're absolutely right. When you so, I mean, there's so many things that I want to talk about with you, um, but I'm going to try and like not get too diverted and get into the weeds too much. Let's <laughs> okay. talk about how you um, think about what you just said, where then you started to think about the experience of the diner and the customer or your, you know, now your wine tasting student or um, audience. Is it very different when you sit down at your now production studio apartment and your computer and you envision that? Is that process that you're going through any different from when you're sitting down in a restaurant dining room and you're looking at the glassware and you're looking at this and you're thinking about the temperature and the lighting, is that process the same? <laughs> well, so here's the interesting thing. So I, as you said, I'm in Chicago and I live in Streeterville and I live in this really cool Mies van der Rohe building. So my studio is 700 square feet and it's a concrete glass and metal box. And I've always treated it, it is a live and workspace. I mean, there's a very small percentage of it that's a corner that is my sort of live space because what is living if not working <laughs> for some <laughs> of us? Um, but, you know, the entire thing is was already set up pre-pandemic as kind of like a private dining room, a little salon where I've had lots of chef friends come, you know, very vaunted ones come and do Michelin caliber meals, just like I know you do at home too, <laughs> on a daily basis. I'm so jealous. But so to answer your question about what's the difference between, you know, then and now and doing it in person and on camera, I think, frankly, if you're doing it right, you're just doing more right? So a lot of people have taken this idea of virtual experience and how do we connect on behalf of our brands or ourselves with our audiences and our supporters and our fans and our fans-to-be. And the answer has been turn on a camera, any kind of camera, right? An iPhone camera and start an Instagram live and uh, a Facebook live or whatever you want to do. And I think just like in building an incredible dining experience, there's so much more. I mean, have you really thought about 
how you're going to adjust your lighting. Should you be using a better camera, a wider angle? You know, there's so much tech. I mean, anything from the ring light, which is easy. You can get one of those for $20 and have it delivered um, to how do you make it feel like it's real? I think everything that I've done is to, well, you know, my initial customer, the very first two, which were in March, were March of 2020. March of 2020, were both um, former regulars of mine who've dined in many of the restaurants where I've served over the years across the country from coast to coast. And they have a need, right? They have investors in giant projects and they need FaceTime with them and they need to entertain them in order to close the deal, which is what a lot of people are doing in a restaurant or dining experience, right? They have some kind of deal they want to close. They want to close the deal with like the hot girl or the hot guy. You know, They want to close <laughs> the real estate deal, the business deal, whatever the deal is, they're trying to close it and they're trying to do it in this wonderful way over gorgeous food and drink. And so my first few clients, paid clients, um, were people who needed to do that. Maybe in the pre-pandemic world, they would have sent private jets <laughs> and brought people together and had a dinner somewhere fabulous, right, where they could all gather and close the deal. And so I sent out giant caskets of mise en place that a chef friend put together for me, and then also wines to pair with, and then took the time to get on a video conference with people's housekeepers or, you know, their service people in their homes, Mm -hmm. the staff exactly. In some case, it was a wife or a husband or whoever. And, you know, we taught them how to place the camera, do favorable lighting, you know, set the table, what kind of glassware to use. And we did everything we could think of to make it feel like they were dining together. That, you know, mm-hmm. they were together at, uh, you know, at Louis Cannes or wherever they would have been together in real life. And so through doing that process, I think I really learned that you really can sort of get really close to a dining experience at a very high level if you put the work in and you don't just, I don't know, in some ways, I think just going on screen and, you know, not taking care to curate your background and all of that, as much as we've made fun of people for curating their bookshelves right. <laughs> and all that kind of stuff to make them look smart it's, during it's a thing experience. now. I know it's very much a thing. <laughs> but you know, we were we were doing that in March of 2020, like doing everything we could to make people feel like they were together at a table specifically, right? At a table in a restaurant having this dining experience. So that's one version of you know, using all of this tech and everything we could and everything we've learned to try to make a virtual experience super cool and badass. It comes down to attention to detail, I suppose, like so much that is just excellent in life, whether that's, you know, a podcast, an interview, a wine tasting, a best best in the world dining experience. It is really paying attention to those thousand details and, and points of intersection. Absolutely. I would say that being in the hospitality world, in the live service world, and doing it at a very high level is perhaps great preparation to be in this moment in time and to be going through things in real time and trying to figure your way through them and how to continue to work, but do it in a way that 
um, looks effortless and elegant or thoughtful on the outside, even if it may be like a five alarm fire on the inside, <laughs> which is also yeah. the hallmark, which is also the hallmark of a great restaurant. Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, live TV, right, is not for the faint of heart. Neither is live experience, right? <laughs> Neither is in restaurants review period, you know, where mm-hmm. you're just like, where is T. Wells or where is the yeah. Michelin inspector? Oh, my God. Um, and you just roll with it and figure it out. And when they walk in the door or when the lights go on and everyone's logged in, you do what you can do. I mean, the other interesting thing, so I did a Twitter live very early on for MasterCard. They uh, let me take over their Twitter and they thought, well, you know, maybe we'll try this experience thing. I think this was in April of 2020. And, you know, who who would watch 20 minutes of a Wine 101 on Twitter? Well, it turns out that 1.4 million people from all over the globe would watch and stay for 20 minutes. So and, say that you know, again, Belinda. Say that again. So, so this was a Twitter live live, we had mm-hmm. 1.4 million people tune in for a 20-minute Wine 101 class. 1.4 million people worldwide. That's amazing. <laughs> Thank you. I mean, listen, I beat A-Rod. Sorry, A-Rod. Like, he did, <laughs> he did a Twitter live after me. He's We're both MasterCard Well, he should have had J-Lo. If it was A-Rod and J-Lo, he would have beat your numbers. But just A-Rod by himself, sorry. (laughs) Maybe not as interesting. Maybe if he had a boozy topic too, Mm -hmm. it could have helped. Yes. But, you know, I think what's really fascinating about that is, so we, that was all, you know, on camera and staged and, you know, teleprompter, all the things. But I did that myself. There was no camera crew. Um, You know, there wasn't the support that you might normally have for this kind of thing. Um, But I did it all here with my jerry-rigged situation. <laughs> Everything stacked up on books, but, you know, I think it felt super quality and it felt very real and authentic and we were able to deliver the kind of connection and engagement that everyone's looking for. So this this virtual experience thing, I firmly believe is is super powerful and you you have to put in the work. And like you said, you have to really take care of the details. I mean, I was talking to a friend, Anthony Julio, who works for a competitor <laughs> of <laughs> MasterCard that I won't name here, but he told me things like he never is seated for the Zoom or, you know, virtual experiences that he executes for. Yeah, he's always standing because that's how you can really, correct, like convey the energy. Mm -hmm. Right. You know, I I think there's all these, like there's, there are a million little things. And maybe if you've done TV appearances in your past, you've learned some of these tips and tricks and seen the newscasters and or actresses or producers make sure that all these things are into place. But I do think that we, those of us who worked in sort of the fine temples of haute cuisine, <laughs> we le- we did learn these things. I mean, it's it's well, it's presentation so pre- important. The how you move through a dining room, standing, your posture, your presentation, your body language, the tone of your voice. Is it just loud enough for people to hear you? Not so loud. The t- next table hears you. Yes, all those types <laughs> of things. Um, all of it, which play which play out, which maybe we don't necessarily think about translating the hospitality experience in real life to something digital and virtual, but that idea of realness and liveness, how you bring those things together. Belinda, I'm wondering if people are, if hospitality people, service people are understanding or making the connection that it's a pretty straight line from a 
restaurant, in-person, dining room performance to a digital performance. The human aspect and the physicality of what you do is pretty much the same. You just need to deliver it in a different way. Or do you think that when people hear virtual and, you know, it's a, it's hospitality folks, if people just, if their brain switches into a place where it just seems unfamiliar or totally different or untenable or unreachable? Listen, I think it's new and new is always scary, right? I think that people feel very out of their comfort zone in trying to execute these kinds of virtual experiences. But I think it's a lot easier than people think, but also at the same time, a lot harder. I think if you're naturally kind of person who thinks about everything they need to do, if you're the kind of person who sets up Saturday night service on Monday, then this is going to be a piece of cake for you, right? I I always had this sort of tenant and operating manual in my head that, you know, Saturday night service, which for most restaurants is the biggest revenue generator and the one that is the highest stakes, you know, you're, you're done with it on Monday. Have you confirmed everyone for Saturday? Do you have all the staff ready to go? Is the menu ready to print on Monday? All of that. Um, you need to do the same thing to have a very successful virtual experience that's going to get you to the goal, whatever the goal is. If you're trying to sell experience kits, if you're trying to just connect with your regulars, if you know whatever you're trying to do, you need to put in all of the prep, make sure all of the mise en place is together, and that you have all of the tools and the team to put together a virtual experience that's going to do what you want it to do. And that's a scary thing. I think so many of the virtual experiences that I see out there, to me, to my mind, are kind of a a throwaway. Like, did you did you really work on this? Did you script it? Do you have a rundown just like they do on TV, just like you would for a podcast like this? You know, you, you've done or the even research. In service, don't you have yeah. a rundown before service at a restaurant? Of course, there or, needs to uh, be. Or some sort of strategic game plan and explanation of how the evening will unfold when everyone's sitting together having staff meal. I mean, a restaurant yes. service does not really happen on the fly. Yes, a <laughs> there thousand are, percent. There are a lot of organizational moments and team moments and rundown moments that if if you look at the all the steps that are taken over the course of a day, to your point, to, to create a successful service, if you're not translating it you know, most of those into a virtual experience, I can't imagine it would be even come close to the same, you know, level of realness. Or, you know, like if people are buying tickets for your virtual experience, it better be freaking good, right? <laughs> better be very well thought out. You need to have in mind what you're doing, what they're doing, you know, and every single thing in between. I mean, I think the interesting thing, I don't know if you've done a show on this, Jen, but, uh, you know, the really interesting thing is also how people are packaging um, their their kits, right? yes. their cooking kits mm-hmm. and their dinner kits. You can really tell the chefs that have great training and are really thoughtful how they've packaged it so that, you know, if there are 50 elements, they're numbered and or if it's something that needs to be dropped, it's in a pipette, right? Instead of everything <laughs> just sort of tossed haphazardly into a box a with- To-go box, some, right. Right, with like instructions that make no sense whatsoever. So I think the same sort of thought process needs to go into this great virtual experience that that's gonna that you're going to do if you're going to do it on behalf of your brand or on behalf 
behalf of your business. I mean, every Sunday we do this thing called Virtual Boozy Brunch, which I started also in March of 2020. And it was designed early on to help furloughed sommeliers. I thought everybody is... It was essentially a, a live tip jar. It was a live tip jar. That's such a great description. I was inspired by how people were doing that for bartenders. And I thought, oh, nobody's ever going to do this for the wine people. They never think we need any help because we're always drinking all this expensive wine. But the thing is, is we didn't buy it. (laughs) 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 You know, we're existing on the largesse of of our friends who are collectors and things like that. So, you know, we're all furloughed and laid off and we need help now too. So we started doing that every single Sunday. I mean, it was taking me probably a hundred hours a week to do all the production. I was doing it by myself, which, you know, if you do it right, nobody can tell, right? That all this effort and work goes into it. We had three different guests from all over the world, people from everywhere. It was so much fun. And I think what ended up happening with that endeavor is we taught a lot of people how to think about virtual experience and how to be disciplined about it. And also how to create these really engaging moments Uh, that are really fantastic. So, you know, we made all of our talent come and do hour-long tech checks and log in with multiple cameras and, you know, get the microphones ready and all this kind of stuff, which I think people didn't realize needed to be done to do this well. Yeah. So So still educating. You're still an educator, Belinda. I mean, being a sommelier in large, I mean, there's a large part of the job that is being an educator, whether it be your colleagues in the restaurant to make sure that everyone understands the program, the bottles, the pour, the technical aspects of uncorking something, but then also the nuances, what you have, the value of things, how it goes with the dishes and the food and the points of view. And now you're just teaching people, instead of teaching them about uh, burgundies, you're teaching them about mics and ring lights? <laughs> I know, isn't it weird? And how you should What's your favorite ring and- light? What's your favorite <laughs> ring light, Linda? Okay, I have these I have all these lights. Um well, I my I'll tell you my favorite trick that I learned, right? Cuz you know that someone just started this or isn't paying attention to the details when you can see the shadow of the ring light in the wine glass right? So that's mm -hmm. not ideal because then everybody knows your game. That is not very three star. (laughs) No. So I learned from some good friends who've been doing some filming and and assisting when possible. Uh, Light League Pictures is the name of their business, but um, Tim Musho taught me about the bounce. So Mm, you take your ring light, right? You lean it all the way back as far as it'll go and you have it very high. So the light bounces off the ceiling and then onto you. So you're Mm -hmm. still beautifully lit. Your glass of wine is beautifully lit so that all of your, um, you know, everyone who's tasting with you can still clearly see everything, but you don't have that circle, <laughs> which even the newscasters, I mean, have you seen them? Some of them yes, who are clearly yes. doing their own lighting at home. I'm like, wait yes. a second. I see that I, ring. <laughs> it's it's really fascinating to watch the news, especially to have all the different people calling in from and, you know, zooming in on the different yeah. video calls into news programs and see... <laughs> what their home setup is, what their home office looks like, who has good lighting, who has a good (laughs) camera angle. Um, The the amount of people who have their camera below their face and they're looking down and they have that weird fishbowl. It's, you know, I I see books in the background. I know you have books. (laughs) I know you can like put three or four and just like prop it up. One of the best um, video call 
directions of how to get a great video call look and lighting was in the New York Times at the very beginning of the stay-at-home. I'm going to say it was maybe April or May, and it Mm -hmm. was by Tom Ford. It was Tom Ford's tips on how to create a great video call, and that is my guide. Tom Ford is my guide. That's the right one. But also, I mean, everybody spends so much time learning, you know, how to take a selfie. I mean, take all of those lessons, right? Mm -hmm. Like hold it up a little bit. Who wants to be looking down? You know, Mm -hmm. you want to stretch that neck out, girl. Right. The old old adage of the paparazzi photos, head over body, right? At an angle, 45 degree angle, head over body, cross your feet. (laughs) Let me help you help yourself look cute on virtual experience. (laughs) We are going to take a quick break to find out who is helping us keep Tech Bytes on the air and Heritage Radio Network going throughout this time. And when we come back, we are going to talk with Belinda about some of her very, very pro tips about translating a real life experience into a live virtual experience. Stay with us. This episode is brought to you by Dashable, an app created to help you find deals, save money, and earn rewards at local businesses in New York City. Dashable will help you find the deals worth dashing for in a variety of categories, from food and drink to art, health, and pets. Support local businesses and save money when you download Dashable today. That's D-A-S-H-I-B-L-E. We are talking virtual wine experiences with Samaye and live online virtual event producer, Belinda Chang. (laughs) She is in Chicago calling in on the Zencaster. If you want to find her online, belindachang.com, that is her main online hub. You can find details about all of her events there. Um, She has an amazing Penfolds Lunar New Year event coming up soon on February 11th. You can also plan events with her, hire her out for events, hire her to train your staff to make better events. If you want to check out that virtual boozy Sunday brunch, you can find that on her website. You can also follow that account on Instagram at virtual underscore boozy underscore brunch. If you want to follow Belinda, she is at Belinda underscore Chicago. Um, and she is coming to us live from Studio 8H Productions. <laughs> so, Belinda, I, I think you, um, you know, you are a, a great personality and very always enthusiastic about your work and digging in and, and presenting the best experience. And I do think that's because you've spent so much of your career working with the best and at the top level. And I think, you know, once you've had that experience, um, it's easy to know how to continue that. It's sort of like once you've been on a Formula One pit crew, you know how to change a tire in three seconds. And and that kind of always stays with you. (laughs) Yes, I think that's a perfect analogy. (laughs) Mm -hmm. I mean, listen, (laughs) yes. (laughs) (laughs) So I do think that there are a couple things that are in play that do help the cause. And I do know that there are so many restaurants that are 
not able to have indoor dining or really at minimum levels. We're in winter now in, in most of the United States and between the weather and you know the issues of the pandemic, maybe people are doing outdoor dining, maybe not. And everything that we've talked about on this show um, last year was really about uh, restaurants and hospitality people being able to create these new channels and ways of engaging their customers. So we, we've talked quite a bit about the hospitality side, but I will say there does seem to be a customer and client side behavior that is also helping right now. And the fact that, you know, Skype and WhatsApp and the video call and FaceTime on our phones and all those types of things, people working out with apps, the streaming services, all of those behaviors and digital life moments were already in existence and were on the rise. And I do think that if those behaviors and services had not already been in place, a lot of these virtual experiences would not have been able to take off so quickly. Do you think that people's behaviors, now that they're in this really living, these virtual, digital, online streaming lives, do you think this is something that will continue a growth trajectory as it was prior? Do you think that once we get to a point in the future where people can return to an outdoor interactive life, will this descend? There's a part of me that thinks that there's something really appealing about 1.4 million people globally that you would still want to replicate, even if you could be <laughs> in a room with a bunch of people. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I think you're onto something. <laughs> Absolutely. A hundred percent. I mean, even when this first started, I always thought back to, I love spy movies and James Bond movies and all the movies that have all the tech in them and the future, futurist, futuristic moments. And, and I always think about um, the, the meeting, right? It's a bunch of like the evil cabal is in some kind of boardroom meeting. Only there's yes. only maybe <laughs> two people there in real life and all the rest of them are holograms, but they're all still sipping scotch together and having their plans. And I always thought, wow, what a cool future. And I've always thought that we're sort of heading towards that. And and maybe you can already do this when you're part of an evil cabal. It's already happening. You know, listen, I live in a studio in Chicago. I'm sheltering in place by myself. And now anytime I'm cooking, I'm cooking on screen with like all these friends as if I'm having some dinner party and everybody is hovering over me in the kitchen as I attempt to recreate what I've seen some of the famous chefs do. I mean, somewhat successfully, but, you know, I don't <laughs> cook alone anymore. I mean, I definitely have always had a rule that I don't drink alone. So now I have millions of people to drink along with me. So, yes, I think this virtual experience thing goes on forever. I think it's a fabulous thing. Uh, it breaks down all geographical and global barriers. We did a gala, a fundraising charity gala last week for a global chamber music competition. The name of the organization is Fish Off. And in the past, it happened in Indiana. One of their big sponsors is Notre Dame University. But this year we were able to, I think we had, instead of the usual 100 people that were a part of the performances in this charity gala, we had close to 1,000 people um, wow. participating. Wow, that's 10 times. 
Right. And from everywhere, right? Because now if your parents are in New Zealand and you're going to play with your chamber music quartet, they could come, you know, come, quote unquote, with air quotes and listen and participate. And I think that's that's something that hopefully, I, I not hopefully, I know it will go on forever. So even maybe the next time we go to a charity gala in person, there's going to be the whole screen filled with faces with people who couldn't be there in person, but are still participating, you know, still bidding on the live and silent auction still there supporting the kids and music and all the different causes. So I think this goes on. It's, it's, I think it's a powerful and magical thing. Like I said, when done right and really executing with so much thought and detail, we can ship those um, cocktail kits and boxes all over the world. I mean, don't tell FedEx or anyone, but you know, (laughs) I've done it. (laughs) I've shipped all kinds of stuff to all kinds of countries at this point so that people can really in all the ways possible feel together. This Lunar New Year celebration that you mentioned for Penfolds, it's for a thousand people. And one of the goals with it is to allow people like me, you know, I have family in Macau and Singapore and Taipei to be able to find a way to gather. Of course, we'll be gathering over glasses of red wine and we'll be making black truffle soup dumplings together, but we're going to have people from all over the world, you know, together apart. And, you know, that Lunar New Year celebration is so important to so many people and so many families. And, you know, I'll be celebrating with people who I actually never get to celebrate with. So that's going to be really neat. So I think there, there's there's something to this whole thing. Jen. <laughs> that's it, the the irony of it is or the incongruity of it is that the really restrictive nature of sheltering in place and quarantining and having to be physically distant from people um on on the one hand we we find it so restrictive and and stifling and in some as, in, in some ways debilitating but on the flip side of that there is an expansiveness that is now possible that people are really thinking about in ways they've never thought about before and being able to open any event uh, or communication or experience to a global audience, to a maximum number of people. I mean, the, the limit really is what your platform and server can handle before it crashes. I mean, in, in, you know, a year ago, if I said to you, Belinda, I'm going to hire you to do a wine tasting for 1.4 million people, you would be game, but you would be worried. Like, where would we have that? Where would we right. have 1.4 million people? How would we get all the glassware? I mean, we would need all <laughs> the glassware. Right. And and those types of things. And it would be daunting, but you could very easily sit down and do a, an event for 5 million people now without thinking about it because the scale is yeah. so easy. I mean, I think about in fashion, right? I've seen, I was watching some footage from a, a Fendi virtual show a couple days ago. And While I think that maybe is a little more difficult to translate, I think this common experience of dining and communal dining and community and food and drink is easier to translate because there is a way for us to all have, if not the exact same thing in the glass, something very similar. So we can still be smelling some of the same aromas and tasting the same flavors and having that sort of experience, even though the clink of the glass might be you clinking your screen. <laughs> you know, I think it, we're mm-hmm. kind of lucky gently, in a gently. way to be clink the screen gently. <laughs> right? 
So, yeah. So, you know, working with food and drink, I think it's, it's, it's a little easier to translate and to communicate the feeling and to have the feeling together. So I think that's also what's very exciting about this thing that's come out of the pandemic that, you know, I'm so eager to continue to explore. And I think a lot of people are along with me on that ride. You know, I've got this mailing list of 20,000 people that have come along on at least one of these virtual experiences with me. And we've definitely found over time, we get better and better at it. We make it feel more and more like we're together. I mean, there are relationships and connections, friendships, uh, all those kinds of things have evolved through being on screen together, doing stuff together. (laughs) It's amazing. It's an interesting time. And albeit one that has a, a tremendous amount of stress and sadness and in some cases loss, there is a other side to the coin, which is in many ways a togetherness and a creativity and um, new new things that are going to happen. In some ways, fi- it's almost finally realizing some of the promises of technology in some ways um, that, you know, was supposed to bring us together and make the world smaller and a global village. And I think in some respects that's that's happening, at least for people who like drinking wine on Sunday. <laughs> well put. <laughs> <laughs> Belinda, um, before we go, um, you have spent the past year really refining all of this Give us your your top pro tips. Um, imagine you are talking to one of your many, you know, restaurant friends and colleagues, you know, somebody who has a has a restaurant and a space who wants to start doing virtual events, has not started doing that yet. Um, it's it's daunting. I mean, certainly it's a very stressful moment, and especially if you're a business owner and someone in the hospitality industry, and especially, you know, all people, I think we have this idea of, as you said earlier, like, oh, all the sommeliers and the fancy chefs and the people who work at, you know, the nice restaurants, like, that's all great, but it's really, um, it's really not as luxurious when you're actually doing the work in many ways. (laughs) And I think it's, I think it's stressful, you know, it's stressful to not have your traditional, um, to not have your traditional avenues of revenue and and product. And then to think about how do we translate again, you know, the experience into a totally new venue. What's your, what's your, what's your quick fire way? What would you, what would you advise somebody to do? What are the most important things to think about? What's the easiest tech? What's the hardest tech? What's the one investment? What's the thing you should absolutely never, ever, ever do? (laughs) (laughs) Well, I'll start with first things first. I'm going to say one, be fearless because you can. Don't tell me you can't do it because you don't have a ring light or you don't have a computer or you don't have or you don't have your PR person can't come help you. You can. So uh, everything that we were doing in the very beginning was free, right? Zoom was free. I was using a light that I have in my living room area just with the bulb naked focused on me to get that, you know, Tyra Banks look to the light kind of thing, the smize. And everything 
there are free versions of just about everything out there. I'm obsessed with Adobe Spark, which they were giving for people for free for three months during the pandemic. So you can do this and you can make it gorgeous. And if there's nothing else that you can do, you can do this. <laughs> you just, you need to be out there. You need to be communicating. And you, if you don't love doing Instagram stories or reels or any of that kind of stuff, I think virtual experience is frankly a really deceptively, well, complicated, but also easy thing to do. No excuses. Just do it. You can do it beautifully without spending any extra money. And then I think number two, if you do want to spend a little mid money and do it, find a, someone to practice. So you can't see your PR marketing person, your usual crew or whatever. Get on the platform and practice. Do friends and family. Yeah, do friends and family. The very first time I was ever on Zoom was March 16th. And I invited some friends from other all over the country. Joseph Hernandez from Bon Appetit came on, Marissa Conrad, people from all over. Uh, and we just practiced what it would be like to have a really high quality and engaging virtual happy hour. And yes, you know, my mom has come to every single virtual experience. <laughs> <laughs> that I've done so far, but she's a perfect audience member, right? Like, you know, and, you know, just practice it. Just, you just got to jump in and you got to do it. Cook on screen, see what that looks like. Try using your iPhone as the camera, your computer as the camera, your iPad as the camera, whatever it is. Practice, practice, practice. And I think this is all the stuff that we also learned in fine dining, right? Like keep working on that dish until it's magical and amazing and the guest experience what is what you want it to be. I think the other important piece here, and this is the same as when you're in restaurants, I think you have to be dining out all the time. So I probably go to, if we execute five experiences per week right now, I'm attending like 25 of them, if not more. Because you got to see what everyone's doing. I think what's exciting about virtual experience in particular is that they're like, a, there's a, 10 new platforms every day. I mean, at this point, I've probably done experiences for brands on, I don't know, maybe 20 different platforms. There's Gigcasters and Screamyard and Zencaster and there's Welcome and Maestro. You know, there's so <laughs> many different ways to get to your audience and get to your fans and get to your supporters. So it's important to always be up to date and seeing the newest and best ways to, to get what you want. <laughs> so it so. sounds, it sounds a lot like opening a new restaurant that's just digital because all the things that you're talking about are things that restaurant and hospitality do and have done every time they're starting a new business. Yeah. You know, they no. decide to go for it. You know, they're yep. opening something new. People may think they're crazy or it's not a good idea. Or you're opening where or you want to make what? Like you're crazy. <laughs> no one's people don't there's the competition's too tough. Nobody wants to eat that. What are you talking about? So yeah. I mean, number one, I mean, be fearless. I mean, restaurant folks are some of the most fearless people that we know, slash brushing their toe right up against that line that crosses into insanity. <laughs> it's so true. Right. And then two, you know, utilizing free things that are out there, you know, software services, all of that, spending money on the things that you think are valuable and important, but then doing it and trying it and testing it and taking notes and refining and keeping going and testing yep. with your staff, with your friends and family. And then 
anyone who's in the business who's who's performing at a high level, they absolutely know what every other restaurant in their category is doing or on their block or in their city. And they're voraciously following the Instagrams and the reviews and the photos and the industry chatter of what's going on. You would never think about opening a restaurant in a complete vacuum yeah, and just, you know, do it and not be thoughtful and, and do all these things and not continue to make revisions and be updated and abreast of what's happening, not just yeah. in a technological or ingredient or a availability sense, but what's what's the competition doing? Is this value, you know, coming back to, is this experience going to be value for my customer? And I think at the end of the day, it's the same thing. And, um, you know, maybe the fact that it is a direct correlation from in-person hospitality to virtual hospitality is, is so direct. I mean, I think the fact that you've seemingly transitioned relatively easily, not to say that you haven't had to work hard. I mean, a hundred hours is a hundred hours, Yeah, but was it challenging in terms of learning these new skills or was it just the next thing that you had to do and just put the work in? Well, I really like the way you said it. It is exactly like opening a restaurant in a new concept. So I've done 12 of them so far in my career. And, you know, every time I do one, I kick myself, but then I do another one Mm because I think it'll be really fun. Um, So, yeah, I do think that people like me who've done restaurant openings, who are sort of hardcore restaurant people, you do have this set of skills in order to launch a vertical of virtual experiences and or to be a virtual experience um, producer and or to launch a, a new revenue arm for your restaurant or hospitality group that includes virtual experience. Yes, absolutely. These are all the skills that we learned. Although I do think all the best people that I know, Jen, and with successful people have all spent a good bit of time in restaurants, whether it was in a casual concept and then they became a doctor or, 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 right? I mean, mm-hmm. there's so many great life lessons to be learned when you're in hospitality for any period of time and really learn everything that you can from the experience. So yeah, I do think that they, I I specifically have this set of skills that I've gotten over my decades working in restaurants and in the business that really translated into this. But I do think also I love new things, right? You know, I, I think it's, and I love to master things. I just think it, it, it's been so much fun to do this and it's made my pandemic livable and possible, um, you know, and also it's been very good for me because it's helped me to provide this great sort of safe space and continue to educate and to keep my friends at home, but still be able to connect with them, friends and family, um, and do all of those things and have that be my business, which is crazy. (laughs) And also to, you know, rely on all these previously learned and acquired skills. Did that answer the question? I don't know. I was all over the place. I think it did. (laughs) But I think the, I think the broad strokes are, it is the same thing. It is the same thing. Working in a restaurant, opening a restaurant, those skills, those muscles, that reflex, uh, that work, it's the same skill set. It's the same drive. It's the same, you know, characteristics that you need. You just need to uh, apply them in a slightly different way with slightly with a, with a slightly different medium. Because theoretically, yeah. you still have the food, you still have the drink, you still have the cocktails, 
we still have the people and the chef and the bartender and the sommelier. You're, the the delivery mechanism is just different now. That's all it really is. And I think, which take, will take us now, we'll come full circle back to the beginning of the show. With all of those elements in place, even with a different delivery mechanism, I think you can get to a real live experience virtually that will have that really um, visceral, intrinsic je ne sais quoi of, yes, I'm, I'm wine tasting with Belinda. Yes, I'm at my favorite restaurant. Yes, I'm with my, my people at my boozy brunch. Yes, it has all of that. Um, because it's not a, it, as we know from being in a restaurant, it's it's not as simple as the dish that's on the plate or the menu. It's this really, this alchemy of the collection of all the ingredients, the sum of all the parts that makes that experience special, that resonates with us. And I do think it's yeah. possible to find that resonance in a virtual experience because of that sort of the dark arts of, of great hospitality. <laughs> <laughs> the dark arts. Amen, sister. <laughs> well, no, I, I think so too. <laughs> I agree. <laughs> um, well, I am looking forward to seeing what kind of things you'll be doing this year with uh, one successful year under your belt and, and all of the learning. I would imagine that uh, this year it's just going to really take off and you'll be able to you know try and do more things. And I think the fact that you're reaching people globally, again, if I tried to hire you to do a two million person wine tasting event in person, you, I, I know you would say yes, <laughs> I would. and I know you would immediately be thinking, "Oh my god, oh my god. where are they going to sit? Like, what? Like, how many waiters do I need?" <laughs> yeah, it's, but you can do it now. Yeah, yeah, we can do it, girl. I'm, I'll take that. I'll take that. Let's do it. <laughs> so if you are following along at home and you want to bring some of this virtual wine experience into your home, go to BelindaChang.com. Follow her online at Belinda underscore Chicago. Follow at virtual underscore boozy underscore brunch. Lots of things going on. Um, you can experience Belinda hospitality as a customer and have wonderful things come to you. If you're a brand and a vintner and a food person who wants to collaborate with her, she's available. And Tech Bytes is available 24-7 all the time. We are powered by Simplecast. We are available on all of your favorite podcasting platforms. How did you find us today? What was your favorite podcasting channel? If you subscribe and give us a great five-star review, that helps the podcast. And we'll also get to have some user feedback, which we love. We are very interactive. Send us an email at techbytes at heritageradionetwork.org. Follow us on social media at techbyteshrn. Let us know what you think, what you like, what you'd like to hear about. And we will look at putting it on deck for 2021. I'm Jennifer Leutzi, and this is Tech Bytes. Tech Bytes is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content and to learn more about our 10-year anniversary celebration happening all year long, subscribe to our newsletter. Just enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. 
connect with us on Instagram and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. You can also find us at facebook.com slash heritage radio network. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Subscribe to the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join the HRN family by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.